Father, we do praise you and thank you for your son Jesus who gave himself for us. We thank you for the forgiveness of sins and we praise you for your love for us. And Father, I pray as we look into your word, you would use it to grow us, that we would become more and more like your son, that you would refresh and renew our minds, that we would, because of Christ, by your spirit's power, uh, bring you glory and honor. So we thank you for your word, we thank you for this time, and we commit it to you now. In Jesus' name, amen. Well, although we are not persecuted all the time, and although we do not suffer all the time, as we'll see today, there are times when suffering comes upon us for following Christ. And as we've seen in First Peter, uh, the reality is we're not to uh, revile in return. We're not to utter any threats. We're to keep entrusting ourselves to the one who judges righteously. We're not to return evil for evil. We're not to respond in, in sinful ways to those who might be doing evil upon us. Now, certainly those are outward actions that should be driven by inward, uh, an inward heart that is right. But yet sometimes our hearts can be in a position where we may do the outward actions that are right and our hearts may not be right. Today we're going to see in the book of 1 Peter in chapter 3 where our heart should be as we respond to those who are persecuting us. You see, there are all kinds of temptations when difficulties come. Temptations to give up, temptations to get angry, temptations to, to become selfish and pull away, temptations to, to, uh, to be resentful or bitter, whatever it might be. And we need to respond rightly uh, according to the Word of God. And that comes from the heart. So how are we to respond when we suffer for doing what is right? Today we're going to see uh, how to do that on a heart level. Uh, turn your Bibles to 1 Peter chapter 3. We're going to be looking at uh, verses 13 through the beginning of 15. This is a very large portion of Scripture in terms of the, the content. We're just going to see a piece of it. So remember what we're seeing is in the context of a larger portion. Now Peter is writing to believers in Asia Minor around 64 AD, Asia Minor, around 64 AD and, and they're suffering and they are about to enter into a great fiery ordeal under Nero's persecution. And Peter is writing to these believers, and he has reminded them that they are sojourners, that they are temporary residents on this earth, that this place is not our home. And yet within that, we've been blessed, we've been born again uh, to a living hope through the resurrection of Jesus Christ from the dead. We have an incredible eternal inheritance awaiting, and our salvation is ready to be revealed a tremendous salvation that although we might suffer for a little while uh, trials, uh, God is refining us and we will ultimately praise him and give him glory for what he is doing. We saw that we are to fix our hope on Christ alone in light of our great salvation, to be holy because he is holy, to live in the context of godly fear, to, to love the body of Christ because we have been born again unto a sincere love of the brethren. And we are to yearn for the, for the pure milk of the word that by it we may grow in respect to salvation because God is doing a tremendous work for those who have tasted the kindness of the Lord. He is building us up as a spiritual house, a holy priesthood to offer those holy sacrifices acceptable to him. And within that we saw that we are a distinct people for his own possession that we might proclaim his excellencies. And then if you'll remember, in the middle of chapter 2, we began the application portion of this letter. 
We saw that as aliens and temporary residents in verses 11 and 12 on this earth, that we are to stay far away from fleshly lusts, which wage war with our souls. We know, we know that war all too well, don't we? And from then, for this point, we have the uh, application of the book. The first one's about keeping our behavior excellent among Gentiles or among non-believers. And the reason is so that God might open the door for redemptive opportunities that as they observe and slander us for our good deeds in Christ, we, they might glorify God when he visits them, Lord willing, in the context of salvation rather than in judgment. It's from that portion we saw how we are to live in the context of ordered relationships in which we might suffer in. First of all, we saw our relationship to the governing authorities, that we are to submit and obey and honor and pray. We are to honor all men. We saw the relationship between the slave and master really mirroring our work relationship, that we are to uh, continually submit ourselves to the authority that God has placed into our lives in the context of fear, with a conscience towards God, doing what is right. And if we suffer for doing what is right and patiently endure, it finds favor with God. And hopefully those, that the situation might bring about even redemptive opportunities. We saw that we were called for this purpose, that since Christ suffered in the flesh, leaving us a tracing pattern or example to follow in his footsteps. And we are to respond as Christ did, not, uh, not to re- reviling or sinning in return, but entrusting ourselves to the one who judges righteously. And through that, Jesus Christ, our perfect example, brought about our salvation, bearing our sins in his body on the cross. And then we saw another relationship in which one might suffer for doing what is right. And we looked at the relationship in marriage. And we saw what believing wives are to do, that even if one is disobedient to the word, a spouse, a husband, they're to be one without a word. They are to also likewise entrust yourselves to the one who judges righteously, doing what is right, uh, adorning your heart with those, with those characteristics of Christ that will be manifest in your behavior and in your words or lack of words in the context of the marriage. Trusting Christ, not fearing, but obeying, but obeying. And that you will be like, the, like those women who hoped in God in, in, in the past, who adorned themselves being submissive from the heart, like Sarah's children, if you do what is right. And then Peter relays what the husbands should be doing, likewise also continually dwelling with their wives according to knowledge, entrusting themselves to Christ, obviously, uh, dwelling according to the truth of God, understanding how God made them and allowing the Lord to inform a heart because she's a fellow joint heir of the grace of life that your prayers may not be hindered. And last week we saw on a very basic level how we can live a life uh, that is good in this world, a, a good life. And what I mean by that, a life characterized by God's blessing upon it. The world has a different view of a good life than we believers do. And we saw that we need to live according to biblical knowledge, letting God's word address our hearts and actions. We saw very clearly, first of all, that we are to respond rightly to believers. We're to have the right heart towards believers. We are to be same-minded towards one another. We are to be sympathetic, brotherly in the context of love. We are to be, uh, uh, in the context of what, what God says, we are to be, let me look at that here. We are to be also uh, humble in spirit and 
missing one here. Kind-hearted, that's it. Tender-hearted, that's what the one I was missing. We're to be tender-hearted towards one another and then humble in spirit or, or lowly in mind, thinking rightly about ourselves. And when we're thinking rightly in the context of the body of Christ, then we can respond rightly to those who are persecuting us. We're not to return evil for evil or insult for insult, but give a blessing instead. Leave room for God's salvation blessing to come through our lips as we will see today when they ask for a reason why we have hope. And when that's the case, when we're responding rightly and suffering, we are, as we will see also again today, blessed. We've been called to inherit a blessing. We've been called to walk rightly before the Lord and walk in the context of his thus blessing, as we'll see. Let's go ahead and read through what we saw last week up to our passage today. And I want to read past that because it just keeps going. The, the, the whole context is much greater than what we'll see today. And I want you to realize that even though we will narrow down to what we will look at today. Let's back up to what we saw last week. Verse 8. To sum up, let all be harmonious, sympathetic, brotherly. There's that word. Kind-hearted or tender-hearted. A humble in spirit not returning evil for evil or insult for insult, but giving a blessing instead. For you were called for this very purpose that you might inherit a blessing. And remember, we saw him justify this with Psalm 34, quote, Let him who means to love life and see good days refrain his tongue from evil and his lips from speaking guile. And let him turn away from evil and do good. Let him seek peace and pursue it. For the eyes of the Lord are upon the righteous, and his ears attend to their prayer. But the face of the Lord is against those who do evil. And now we come to our passage, which is connected. And who is there to harm you if you prove zealous for what is good? But even if you should suffer for the sake of righteousness, you are blessed. And do not fear their intimidation. Do not be troubled, but sanctify Christ as Lord of your hearts. That's what we're going to see today. But notice it continues. And Lord willing, we'll see the rest of what's connected next week. Always being ready to make a defense to everyone who asks you to give an account for the hope that is in you, yet with gentleness and reverence. And keep a good conscience, so that in the thing in which you are slandered, those who revile your good behavior in Christ may be put to shame. For it is better, if God should will it so, that you suffer for doing what is right, rather than for doing what is wrong. And we see the example. For Christ also died for sins once for all, the just for the unjust, in order that he might bring us to God, having been put to death in the flesh, but made alive in the Spirit. Now again, what we'll look at today is part of a larger passage. And I think the passage that we're really familiar with is, is uh, but sanctify Christ as Lord in your hearts, being ready to make a defense. We're really familiar with that. But I think it's so important to see how this really is laid forth in its context. So how are we to respond, not simply outwardly, but inwardly when we suffer for, what is, for doing what is right? When you're suffering because you did the right thing in Christ, when you suffer for it. First of all, we need to recognize and understand God declares that we are blessed if we suffer for the sake of righteousness. Verse 13, and who is there to harm you if you prove zealous for what is good? But even if you should suffer for the sake of righteousness, you are blessed. 
If you notice, verse 13 begins with the conjunction and, revealing that this is not an isolated portion of Scripture, but connected to what we just read. It's connected to the attitudes, first of all, that we saw to be harmonious, uh, sympathetic, brotherly, kind-hearted, humble in spirit, and then how we are to respond. Giving a blessing rather than rather than uh, insults or evil, returning evil, because we were called for this very purpose, that we might inherit a blessing. You see, we've been called unto this, not to react to non-believers in a sinful way, whether it's government, marriage, or whatever it might be, persecuted in the wrong way, whether it's at work, so that God might open a door for salvation to come through that circumstance that we might be able to share a blessing And as we saw last week, the Apostle Peter uh, emphasizes or explains what he's talking about in verse 10. Let's look at that again. It's a quote of Psalm 34. For let him who means to love life and see good days refrain his tongue from evil and his lips from speaking guile. And let him turn away from evil and do good. Let him seek peace and pursue it. Why? For the eyes of the Lord are upon the righteous and his ears attend to their prayer. But the face of the Lord is against those who do evil. And here is our verse. And who is there to harm you if you prove zealous for what is good? Now, it's interesting. Sometimes there are some minute differences in different versions of the Bible. And here we have one of those differences in the uh, NESB, ESV, NIV, which come from the same manuscript families. families, uh, We have this term zealous, prove zealous, If you have a King James or a New King James, it it probably says either imitate or followers. And it's a little bit different, but uh, uh, the reality is, if you understand how we got our translations, now we got our translations from the original, which is inspired, God breathed, uh, there were copies that were made. And the NASB, NIV, ESV come from earlier copies, but less copies. The New King James, the majority text, what's called, comes from the majority text, where there's many more copies but they're much later copies. And so one philosophy is many is good. Another philosophy is earlier is good. Now, the the differences are so minute. There's never a difference in doctrine concerning Christ, concerning anything that is important. They're just some small, what we would see as scribal errors over time after so many copies were made by all those monks year after year after year. And so as we look at this passage, it's pretty apparent, I think, that it's probably zealous for what is good rather than imitate or or followers. I think the NASB has a better translation. I prefer usually the earlier, less, uh, less, less, less of the manuscripts, but earlier and closer to the originals here. But again, I mean, both things are real and biblical in that sense, but I think what's being said here is who is there to harm you if you prove zealous for what is good? Now, there are two potential interpretive possibilities here concerning this statement. First of all, who's going to harm you, literally, if you're zealous for good? If you desire to do the right thing, that's your focus. I want to obey you, Lord God. I want to do the right thing no matter what. No matter how I feel, I want to do the right thing. Who could really ultimately harm you? You know, they can take your body, they can kill you, but they can't take the soul, right? I mean, ultimately, in that sense, who's there to harm you? God is looking upon you. His eye is upon you. That's one possibility. His ear is attentive to your prayer. No ultimate harm will come upon you in light of God's protection. That's certainly true, biblically speaking. 
But is that what's being said here? There's another possibility that it's quite possibly he's saying that suffering is not always the absolute norm. You're not going to suffer all the time. And I'll look, and as we look at this, I think this is what he's saying. And who is there to harm you if you prove zealous for what is good? But even if you should suffer for the sake of righteousness, you are blessed. The implication here seems to be in a general sense, when you do what is right, you probably will not be harmed. It's like those general maxims we see in Proverbs that are true basically, but there are differences. But even if you should suffer, it's an anomaly, not the norm. You are blessed. I think Peter's point is such. When we obey governments, even evil governments, do what is right, by and large, we're not going to be harmed. When I drive the speed limit, by and large, I'm not going to be harmed, right? When I pay my taxes, by and large, I'm not going to be... Well, that's a different story, right? Um, But when we obey our masters or our bosses at work, we do what they ask us to do. We do what is good. We're zealous that we're not going to be harmed. In a marriage with a non-Christian, you do what is good. You're not going to be harmed or suffer by and large. Yet, yet, as we do see in Scripture, we are not to marvel if the world hates us. And yes, suffering by and large isn't all the time, but we are and will suffer. Believers will suffer. The reality is sometimes we do suffer, and certainly these believers were suffering. And certainly there are times where we will suffer for doing what is right. So Peter's point, I believe, he's making is although suffering for doing what is good, it's not the absolute norm. And I think we'll see in a minute that's an encouragement. Because if we thought this type of suffering lasted forever and ever and ever, it could be discouraging. God does will it. Believers do go through it. But I think as we'll see, it's not the absolute norm unless God wills it to be. And who is there to harm you if you prove zealous for what is good? But even if you should suffer for the sake of righteousness, uh, you are blessed. The phrase, even if you should suffer, is in the Greek. And if with an optative mood, it's very rare, but it's it's a condition that means future less probable. It means it's probable, it could happen, but it's not the most probable thing. And so he's saying, hey, you know, who's there to basically harm you in these circumstances if you do the right thing? Really, basically not. But even if you should suffer, and guess what? They were suffering, and Scripture reveals that we will suffer. For the sake of righteousness, you are blessed. You are blessed. Now again, why would Peter... uh, Ask this question, why would he, sh- why, well, I ask this question, why does he share this? If you're suffering and he's saying, well, it's not that, doesn't happen all the time, that could be discouraging, right? Well, I'm suffering. I seem like I'm suffering all the time. Well, I think the encouragement is that by and large, we're not going to suffer this way all the time. I'll tell you right now, it is easy when you are suffering for doing what is right to think this is the way it's going to be forever till I die. Now, God could will it so. That's possible. We know that. We know, indeed, those who are godly desire to live will be persecuted. We know that if we suffer for righteousness' sake, that we're blessed. We know that, that it could happen. But I think he's saying, hey, it's not the absolute norm all the time, and we can be encouraged in that. We can be encouraged in that. Yes, persecution does happen, but does it happen all the time? Probably not. Uh, But when it does, we need to be ready. We need to always be ready. We need to have Christ set aside as Lord of our hearts so that we're ready to give an account for why we 
in our actions have something different going on and people realize we have hope. And we need to keep a good conscience, as we will see. You know, it's interesting, even though Peter says that it's, it's rare, he talks about believers suffering. In chapter 5, he says that later on in the letter that, uh, you know, after you've suffered a little while, he talks about the God of, of, that God will encourage us and, and comfort us and strengthen us. So I think it's encouraging. Suffering doesn't last forever. Now, it could last for this whole life. I'm not saying it couldn't. You know, I think Job, if you looked at his life, he would say it's happening forever. It ain't stopping and I'm going to die. It's so bad. Well, eventually it didn't. Eventually it didn't. So it's not an absolute norm of our daily life, but it is certainly a potential possibility. And it will happen to believers. It will happen to believers. Yes, God may will it. And if he does, as we will see, you are blessed. Look at our passage again, verse 13. And who is there to harm you? Is someone going to harm you if you prove zealous for what is good? But even if, then it's unlikely, but it's possible, you should suffer for the sake of righteousness. Guess what? You are blessed. You are blessed. This is really important. God's blessing is upon those who suffer for righteousness sake. You need to understand that. When you lose friends because you've done the right thing, you are blessed. When things happen in your life and are consequences because you've done what is right, you are blessed. And we'll see what that blessing is like, what it, what it consists of. So with that in mind, before we look at what this blessing looks like, let's take a look in context what this type of suffering he's speaking of looks like. But even if you should suffer, first of all, for the sake of righteousness. We indeed suffer at times for sin. We are all sinners. We all make mistakes. We make mistakes, we misspeak, whatever it might be, and we may suffer for those things. That's not what he's talking about. God's gracious. Confess your sin. Move on. Reconcile whatever it needs to be. God's gracious, but we sometimes suffer for the sake of righteousness. Doing what is right in the context of obeying the Lord. When you obey the Lord, you do the right thing and you suffer for it, you are blessed. Let's look back at the context. Look at... uh, Chapter 2, verse 12. Keep your behavior among the, excellent among the Gentiles. Walk rightly, so that in the very thing in which they what? Slander you as evildoers, they may account of your good deeds as they observe them. This uh, righteousness is speaking of believers' good deeds, their good behavior, their good actions. Look down a little farther in verse 19. For this finds favor for the sake of conscience towards God. That's a focus on Christ from the heart. A man bears up under sorrows when suffering unjustly. For what credit is there if you, when, if you, when you sin, you are harshly treated, you endure with patience. There's no credit for that. But when you what? Do what is right and suffer for it. You patiently endure it. This finds favor with God. Chapter 3, verse 9, not returning evil for evil. That's doing what is right. Chapter 3, verse 16, and keep a good conscience so that in the thing in which you are slandered, those who revile what? Your good behavior in Christ. 
You're trusting Christ. You're obeying His Word. And it is coming out in your actions. That's suffering for righteousness' sake. Verse 17, For it is better if God should will it so that you suffer for doing what is doing what is right. Doing what is right. And we have a real example of that in 1 Peter chapter 4. Turn to 1 Peter chapter 4. 1 Peter 4, verse 3, For the time already past is sufficient for you to have carried out the desire of the Gentiles, having pursued a course of sensuality, lust, drunkenness, carousals, drinking parties, and abominable idolatries. And in all this, they, that's non-believers, are surprised in that you do not run with them into the same excessive dissipation. And what? They malign you. We see the maligning. Being maligning for doing what is right, not yielding to those former lusts, right? But walking according to God's will. And if you look down a little farther, verse 14, ultimately it's for obeying Christ and suffering for him. Verse 13 of chapter 4, But to the degree you share the sufferings of Christ, keep on rejoicing also that also at the revelation of his glory you may rejoice with exaltation. If you are reviled for the name of Christ, you are blessed because the spirit of glory and God rest upon you. By no means let any of you suffer as a murderer, thief, or evildoer, or troublesome meddler. But if anyone suffers as a Christian, let him not feel ashamed, but in that name let him glorify God. Primarily, it's being maligned, slandered, insulted for obeying Christ. For obeying Christ. That's what we see here. Insulted maligned, slandered. We saw all three of those things for doing what is right, for doing what is right. You know, we tend to think of suffering as physical, and certainly that's true, and we see that in Scripture. Even the Apostle Paul, as Saul, pursued physically and caused uh, believers to suffer. And we cannot discredit that reality. We see Stephen being stoned to death, right? That suffering uh, and persecution on a physical level does happen. But primarily, we see in Scripture, it is often and most often on a verbal level, which certainly can turn violent. Turn to Matthew chapter 5. Matthew chapter 5, verse 10. And again, while you're turning there, in the back we had those statements, slandered, maligned, insulted, all those things in the context of 1 Peter. Matthew chapter 5, verse 10. Blessed are those, and, and he's been saying, blessed, blessed are those who, who do this and this and this. It's, it's very generic to a group of people who would be called blessed based on their characteristics, uh, which reveal a relationship with Christ. Blessed are those who have been persecuted for the sake of what? Righteousness. For theirs is the kingdom of heaven. These guys are saved. Because they're saved, they've been manifesting the righteousness of Christ and they're being persecuted. Blessed are you, he changes it now to you personally. Blessed are you when what? When men cast insults at you and persecute you and what? Say all kinds of evil against you falsely on account of me. Often it is verbal persecution. Rejoice and be glad. For your reward in heaven is great, for so they persecuted the prophets who were before you. It's just part and parcel. Now we know it doesn't happen all the time, 
But it does happen to believers. It does happen, and it is an evidence of uh, the Christ in you when you are persecuted for Christ. Blessed are those who have been persecuted for the sake of righteousness, for theirs is the kingdom of heaven. Blessed are you when men cast insults at you and persecute you and say all kinds of evil falsely on account of me, Jesus says. Rejoice and be glad, for your reward in heaven is great, for so they persecuted the prophets before you. It's for the sake of righteousness. It's on account of Jesus. It's insults and all kinds of things falsely said. And indeed, our passage bears that forth in 1 Peter, the idea of slander and maligning because of good behavior in Christ. Now we're going to see in a moment that Peter goes on in the rest of this verse and he quotes Isaiah chapter 8. And in the context of Isaiah chapter 8, we're going to see in a minute, uh, Isaiah and the faithful were being slandered. And he quote, Peter quotes this portion to encourage them, to encourage them. And if you prove zealous, go to, let's go back to our passage. And if you, and who is there to harm you if you prove zealous for what is good? But even if you should suffer for the sake of righteousness, you are blessed. You're blessed. What does that mean? What does it mean, blessed are you? Same word that Jesus uses. The term blessed here speaks of a, a blessedness, a, a happiness which is not tied to circumstance, but tied to an intrinsically right relationship with Jesus Christ. Let me share just briefly some blessed passages, literally. Uh, Psalm 34, verse 8. O taste and see that the Lord is good. How blessed is the man who takes refuge in him. And I'll read Romans chapter 4, verse 7. Blessed are those whose lawless deeds have been forgiven. You're blessed if your sins have been forgiven. Whose sins have been covered. Blessed is the man whose sin the Lord will not take into account. We are blessed because of the forgiveness of sins. Psalm 94, verse 12. Blessed is the man whom thou dost chasten. Hey, you've had a spanking from God lately? You're blessed, right? We're blessed. We've got a loving Heavenly Father who wants us to share in His holiness. Psalm 84, verse 12, How blessed is the man who trusts in thee. You're blessed if you trust in Jesus. You trust Him. You rely on Him. It's from the heart. It's not some mechanical thing. I believe what you say, Lord God. I believe. I trust you. Psalm 112, verse 1, How blessed is the man who fears the Lord, who greatly delights in His commandments. Psalm 119, verse 2, How blessed are those who observe His testimonies, who seek him with all their heart. There's no half-heartedness, Lord God, I seek you. I want to know you better. I want to follow you. I want to obey you. I need your help, Lord God, I fail. Forgive me. I want to follow you, Lord God. In Luke chapter uh, 11:28, some lady cries out, "Blessed is uh, something about Jesus," and Jesus responds this way, "On the contrary, how blessed are those who hear the word of God." And observe it. You see, Jesus made it clear there are many who hear the word of God but don't observe it. We see that about the man who built his house on the sand. But when you observe it, it's an evidence that something's changed in your heart and you are blessed because you have a relationship with the Lord. Blessedness is not tied to circumstance but to a right relationship with God. And blessed are we when we're persecuted. When we're persecuted. 
very clear in our passage. He says in verse, 13, verse 14, But if you should suffer for the sake of righteousness, you are blessed. It's the first thing we need to know. We need to understand this when we are suffering for doing what is right. Now, we can suffer for doing what is wrong. We can actually think we're doing what is right and suffer for doing what is wrong. It's when we're genuinely, truly obeying the Lord from the heart in the context of, of uh, a right relationship with him. We need to keep on rejoicing, not be ashamed, glorify God, because the spirit of glory rests upon us. We need to trust the Lord and thank him for, for what he's done and what he is doing. We see that this blessedness is an evidence of a right relationship with the Lord, his eye upon us and his ear attentive to our prayers. Are you suffering for doing what is right? If you've lost friends, you've done what is right, you've been insulted because you've done what is right, you've been slandered, you've done what is right, you've obeyed Christ, God says you're blessed. God says you're blessed. If you've truly trusted and obeyed him and suffered, things are right between you and him. You're blessed. You're blessed. Now, this doesn't happen to everybody all the time. Not everyone will suffer for uh, righteousness' sake all the time. So those of you who are not suffering for righteousness' sake, how do we apply this? We come alongside those who are suffering for righteousness' sake and say, look what God says. Look what God says. Be encouraged. Be encouraged. So then, how are we to respond when suffering? First of all, we need to know that we're blessed. Things are right with the Lord. Things are right with the Lord. Secondly, we need to not allow the fear of man to rule our hearts or to be shaken. This is where it comes down to the reality. We can be shaken up by what people say. We can be shaken up by the circumstances. We can fear the things that could happen. Well, I'll lose this person, friend, that, whatever. We can start fearing all kinds of stuff. Look at our passage. And who is there to harm you back in 1 Peter 3 if you prove zealous for what is good? But even if you should suffer for the sake of righteousness, you are blessed. And do not fear their intimidation and do not be troubled, but sanctify Christ as Lord of your heart. Two things. This passage comes in a context. We always think about sanctifying Christ as Lord of our hearts, and yes, we should, but it comes in the context of not fearing and being troubled, but instead having Christ as Lord, as Christ as Lord. You'll notice in some of your Bibles, they put this portion in, uh, in caps, which means it's a quote from the Old Testament. And do not fear, end of verse 14, their intimidation and do not be troubled. This is uh, what Peter is quoting from Isaiah chapter 8. And let's turn to Isaiah chapter 8. And I want to read this in its context. And not always is the exact context from the Old Testament quote used in the New Testament. Sometimes inspired writers will add to that inspired by the Spirit of God. It's not always exact, but there's, there is a relationship. There is a relationship. Isaiah chapter 8, verse 11. For thus... The Lord spoke to me with mighty power and instructed me not to walk in the way of the people. Don't walk like they're walking. Saying, you are not to say it is a conspiracy. The people were saying it's a conspiracy, and we'll talk about that in a minute. In regard to that, what the people call a conspiracy. And here's our quote. And you are to not fear what they fear or to be dreaded of it. It is the Lord your host, in contrast, whom you should regard as holy. 
He shall be your fear and he shall be your dread. Don't fear the circumstances and stuff, but set apart Christ as the Lord. Don't let those situations lord over your heart, but set Christ as Lord. It's really interesting. In this context, we have unfaithful King Ahaz of Judah, who had allied himself with Syria so that he wouldn't be invaded by, by Israel and Syria. Okay? Or with, with, with uh, Syria. And the remnant, including Isaiah, had been falsely accused of a conspiracy. They were being maligned. And this is what God says. Don't, don't fear, basically. Don't be troubled. But set apart Christ as your fear. The Lord God as your fear. He's your fear. He's your fear. Do not fear, chapter, four, chapter 3, verse 14, back in 1 Peter, their intimidation. And do not be troubled but set apart Christ or sanctify Christ as Lord in your hearts. You could translate this verse in the end, and their fear do not fear, nor be shaken or troubled. Do not let what is intimidated to cause fear cause you to fear. Don't let it happen. Don't let their slanderous statements cause you to be afraid. But in contrast, fear God. Set him apart as Lord of your hearts. Set him apart. You know, we are so tempted to not set apart Christ as Lord in our hearts as the one who should be our fear and our dread, as we saw in Isaiah, in a a godly way. We're so tempted when we're going through things. What do I mean? On a practical level, we're tempted to allow the circumstances and situations to control our hearts and our thinking rather than Christ. And the blessed are told not to let this happen. Brother and sister, don't let this happen. No matter what people are saying, no matter what the possible outcome might be, no matter how bad it looks, if you've obeyed the Lord Jesus Christ and you're suffering, do not fear in regards to what people say in context, but fear Christ. The fear of man brings a snare. Fear God instead. Fear God instead. You see, as we'll see, God is in control, not them. God is in control. He is the Lord. Jesus is the Lord over everything. And when we elevate the circumstances and people, we give them a sovereignty in the circumstance rather than the sovereign God who is over all. Who is over all. Notice he wants us to be encouraged and not troubled also. And do not fear their intimidation. Do not be troubled. Troubled, but sanctify Christ as Lord in your hearts. It's a hard issue. The term troubled here speaks of being shaken, unsettled, thrown into confusion, stirred up. When combined with the idea of fear, it can speak of being terrified or frightened. Don't let what they're saying and what they're doing trouble you. Boy, that's a temptation, isn't it? Don't let it trouble you. But set Christ as Lord in your heart. You see, if Christ is Lord and sovereign over all, we need not fear what men can do, right? We need not fear it. Let me share some passages. I turn to Hebrews chapter 13. Hebrews 13. And we've got to get the word in our hearts, otherwise we'll be tempted to disobey this command, right? Disobey it. You know, things happen. Lose relationships, whatever it might be. We can be troubled, and there's certainly grief over those things, but don't allow that to control your heart. Don't let it control your heart. 
Hebrews chapter 13, verse 5. Let your character be free from the love of money. Okay? Be content with what you have. And he's going to tell you what you have. He says here, For he himself has said, I will never desert you, nor will I ever forsake you. So that we can confidently say, The Lord is my helper. I will not be afraid. What shall man do to me? What could they do? Turn to Psalm 118. Psalm 118. We see this throughout the Psalms. David and, and will we'll share the, the circumstances and he will turn and, and apply God's sovereignty over the situation, setting apart Christ as Lord. We need to do that too. Psalm 118. And if, and if, and if you're not going through something, come alongside someone else and encourage them in this. Right? Psalm 118, verse 1. Give thanks to the Lord, for he is good, for his loving kindness is everlasting. Oh, let Israel say his loving kindness is everlasting. Oh, let the house of Aaron say his loving kindness is everlasting. Oh, let those who fear the Lord say his loving kindness is ever, everlasting. For, my dis, for from my distress I called upon the Lord. The Lord answered me and set me in a large place. The Lord is for me. I will not fear what can man do to me. The Lord's for me. The Lord is, uh, is for me among those who help me. That's wonderful. It's, there's, you see that comfort from other believers. Therefore, I shall look with satisfaction on those who hate me. It is better to take refuge in the Lord than to trust in man. Turn to Psalm 56. Psalm 56. great psalm this is a psalm where david in the superscript reveals that he learned a lesson he learned a lesson he didn't trust the lord he feigned madness he didn't he, he blew it but he, he learned a lesson and he responds and that's what we need to do psalm 56 for the choir director according to jonathan elam rohickam a victim of david when the philistines seized him in gath be gracious to me O god for man has trampled upon me Fighting all day long, he oppresses me. My foes have trampled upon me all day long, for they are many who fight proudly against me. And this is wonderful. Share this with your kids, especially young kids when they're fearful. When I am afraid, I will put my trust in thee, in God whose word I praise. In God I have put my trust. I shall not be afraid. What can mere man do to me? All day long they distort my words, and and all their thoughts against me are for... Against me, for, are for, against me for evil. They attack, they lurk, they watch my steps as they have waited to take my life because of the wick, because of the wicked, excuse me, because of wickedness, cast them forth. In anger, put down the peoples, O God. Thou hast taken account of my wanderings, put my tears in thy bottle. Are they not in thy book? Then my enemies will turn back in the day when I call. This I know, that God is for me. In God, whose word I praise, In the Lord, whose word I praise. In God I have put my trust. I shall not be afraid. What can man do to me? Look back uh, at 1 Peter and go to chapter 5. As we see the closing statements of this book, uh, Peter reveals how we are to respond to being troubled and that we actually have an enemy behind all of this. We're to cast our cares. We're to... We're to uh, 
be on guard and we're to know that it's not going to last forever and other brethren are suffering too. Look at verse uh, 6 of 1 Peter 5. Humble yourselves therefore under the mighty hand of God that he may exalt you at the proper time, casting all your anxiety upon him because he cares for you. Be on the alert, be of sober spirit. Your adversary, the devil, prowls about like a roaring lion seeking someone to desire, to, to, desire, to devour. But resist him firm in the faith, or literally your faith, but the faith, knowing that the same experiences of suffering are being accomplished by your brethren who are around the world. And after you have suffered a little while, the God of all grace who called you to his eternal glory in Christ will himself perfect, confirm, strengthen, and establish you. It's a little while, and God will do this, right? To him be dominion forever and ever. Amen. Brothers and sisters, we're not to allow the wrong response of man to cause us to fear them rather than God, to fear circumstances, to fear consequences of what has happened or might happen. We're not to be troubled, shaken up. That's the temptation. But instead, notice we are to set Christ apart as Lord. We'll finish up with just the beginning of this portion here, and we're going to get into the rest, and we're going to see that setting Christ apart of the Lord is connected to some other things. Being ready to give an account, and also uh, holding a clean conscience. We're going to see those things are connected, but we'll look at that next time. So when suffering, uh, we are to do what is right. We are to respond rightly, but from the heart, from the heart, we need to recognize we're blessed and we need to not fear their intimidation. End of verse 14. And do not be troubled, but sanctify Christ as Lord in your hearts. Always being ready to make a defense to everyone who asks you to give an account for the hope that is in you, yet with gentleness and reverence. You see, if I'm all shaken up, I don't look like I got much hope, right? You see, but when I'm trusting the Lord, the hope becomes manifest. He says there, in keeping, literally keeping a good conscience, so that the thing which you are slandered, those who revile your good behavior in Christ may be put to shame. For it is better if God should will it so that you suffer for doing what is right rather than what is wrong. Again, this passage continues, but we'll look just at the beginning of verse 15. And do not fear their intimidation, end of 14, and be troubled, but... Now this term in Greek, translated but here, could be but rather or instead. Instead of this, do this. Instead of this, do this. But rather, instead of, instead of allowing uh, these things to reign in your heart, let Christ reign in your heart. Set him apart. Set him apart. Now again, there's another, it's interesting, a lot of textual issues here. There's another issue textually with the King James family and the NSB and those families. If you have a King James Bible, it'll say, but sanctify the Lord God in your hearts. It doesn't say Christ is Lord in your hearts. Now, I just want to point this out. Uh, we have the term the Lord God rather than Christ is Lord. And I, I believe the King James is probably not the most accurate translation at this point, even though it still is true. It's true. Um, now, I appreciate the King James because they give you a little note in there. It says, NU text reads Christ as Lord. As Lord. And something just, uh, again, as I mentioned, the King James and the New King James are based on the, those, those multitude of copies more than in, in the New Testament. And so there were many more copies. And, and it's believed that in this passage it's probably a copyist error 
to try an overzealous, non-believing uh, uh, monk, uh, copious heir, that, that is wanting to align it more closely to the Isaiah passage. And that's why they put that in there. We're not sure, but the reality is, I believe, it's certainly speaking of Christ Jesus as Lord. It's certainly speaking of the Lord God. So there's no difficulty there, okay? So with that in mind, uh, oh, and it's on a side note too, no, never mind. I'll, I'll, if you want to know the side note about the King James only situation, I'll talk to you later about this, all right? All right. Um, so back in our passage, this is the first command now. It's actually an imperative command. Sanctify Christ as Lord in your hearts. Instead of being fearful and, and intimidated and troubled, the command is to satisfy Christ as Lord. Don't let fear, don't let trouble overtake your heart. Let Christ overtake your heart. Let him be sovereign. You see, we need this, don't we? Because we will default to the other, and we will become discouraged. We will become distracted. Sanctify Christ as Lord of your heart. The term sanctify is a derivative of the Greek word that means holy. It means to be set apart. Christ should be placed as Lord in our hearts above everything else. That's what was being said in Isaiah. Hey, they're slandering you, but the Lord God should be your fear. He is your fear. The same thing for us. We need to elevate our view of Christ and our fear and reverence of him. Nothing else should be lording over our thinking, especially when we're suffering. Christ says we're blessed. Christ says that. And he is faithful, and we see in his word that he will faithfully lead us through. He will never lead us nor for, leave us nor forsake us. Turn to Luke chapter 12. Luke chapter 12. There is an inherent problem in situations that we are tempted when bad things happen to us, even when we didn't do anything wrong. We're tempted to pull our focus off of Jesus Christ. We're tempted to forget he is, practically speaking, Lord over it, and it's in control. He's he's got it under control, and he's going to work it for good. Luke chapter 12, verse 4, And I say to you, my friends, do not be afraid of those who kill the body, and after that have nothing more they can do. But I warn you to, to fear, fear the one whom after he is killed has authority to cast in hell. Yes, I tell you, fear him. God has authority to cast people in hell, and the same God saved us from our sins. Fear and reverence him. Fear and reverence him. Fear God. Set him apart as Lord in your heart. He is in control. He's in control. So I really believe it's important as we finish up here to realize that this setting Christ as Lord of your hearts is in contrast to not being troubled or fearing. Don't try to trouble or fear. And then God will use that as an opportunity to bring forth the hope that we have if he opens a door. When we're being slandered, when we're being persecuted, when we're being insulted, when we're suffering for doing what is right, when we're suffering for Christ, suffering for obeying him, trusting him, don't fear, don't be troubled. Don't let circumstances rule over your heart. Don't let situations and what people do rule over your heart, but set aside Christ as Lord. Lord, I trust you. You're sovereign over all of this. You're in charge. You're good. You're gracious. You're faithful. I trust you. When we succumb to that, temptation to fear and betrayal we need to confess lord god i'm sorry he understands our frame he understands our weaknesses confess and trust the lord trust the lord sanctify christ as lord in your hearts the command is clear don't be troubled don't fear their intimidation 
but set apart Christ as the Lord in your heart. That's what we need to do. How are we to respond when suffering for doing what is right? On a heart level, we need to realize when we do what is right, we're blessed. Our relationship with uh, God is, is right. When we do it from the right heart, trust the Lord, obey him, and we suffer, we're blessed. Secondly, we need to not fear or be troubled, but set apart Christ as Lord. There's some of you here today who Christ has never been Lord of your heart, and that's because sin's in the way. And God's a gracious God. He's a merciful God who calls upon you to believe in his Son, to repent of your sins and believe and as G- in Jesus as Lord. As Lord. And brothers and sisters, if you're suffering for doing what is right, remember, it's not the continual norm. It may not last forever. It's not the way it always is. But if God should will it, you are blessed. Sanctify Christ as Lord in your heart. And lastly, if you're not suffering and you're still following the Lord, use God's word to come alongside someone who is and encourage them. Let's pray. Father, thank you for your word. And it is just so simple and so straightforward. And Lord, yet we so easily disobey in our hearts. We get distracted. We get shaken. We get uh, turned. Lord, help us to see things rightly. Help us to see your Son rightly and sanctify him as the Lord in our hearts so that in the very thing that we are being troubled by and possibly tempted to fear, we would hope in you and that hope would be manifest to non-believers to the point that they might even ask why we have hope in the midst of such wickedness. Father, I pray as we'll look and see that we'll be ready to give an answer, yet with gentleness and reverence. Lord, thank you for your Son who is sovereign over all, who is the King of kings and Lord of lords, who reigns over all. I pray that he would reign over our hearts on a daily basis. In his precious name we pray. Amen.